0: I told the uh, worship team up here, I'll keep this relatively short just in case the wind and the water comes upon in their heads. We don't want that to happen and ruin all their instruments. It's funny, earlier in the week they asked me, they said, how long of a trailer are we going to have? And I said, I think this time we'll grab a 32-footer. Perfect. We're just going to keep adding instruments. So man, look, we got a lot of stuff up here. Way to go, team. This is a lot of fun. What is it you're hiding behind over there, Jacob? Yeah, that's a... That makes my wife's viola look pretty small. <laughs> but I want to thank all of you for coming out today, and especially I want to thank our worship team for putting in the extra effort to prepare for us for a day like this where we could just come together and celebrate. But I want to empower you today maybe with a short message that would encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And here's the power. Most of us would probably love to be able to have a more impactful uh ministry where we live where we work go to school and all those things oftentimes we we feel like we lack the right words to speak that i don't know enough bible to tell somebody about jesus and all those kinds of things and we we often will retreat back because of that and and not say anything well i want to empower you today through the for the passage of first peter we've been studying that book for several weeks now so if you're new with this you're going to catch right up real fast the book of First Peter is a book that is, is a letter written from Peter the Apostle to a group of people that have been scattered because of persecution. They have been persecuted heavily. They've been scattered everywhere. And he is wanting to encourage them in their walk with the Lord that, you know what, if they can identify with Christ in suffering, at the same time they have this high calling. And then he's encouraging them even in this message today that, you know what, it's not always the words that you speak. But sometimes it's just the conduct and the manner in which you live. So the message of the day is not the, uh, that I'm going to share with you all these great words to say, but this text actually, I'm gonna, it's kind of a setup for the next two or three Sundays we're together because we learn as we are in the word about how to interact with government, how to interact with our spouses, how to interact with our employers and employees. Well, this whole text is going to lean that way. That sounds like wetness. But let me really fast. Now it's getting faster. <laughs> Encourage you in this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, first I want you to catch... He's speaking to the beloved or the beloved. This is a term, the same term that God used for Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't know about you, but when life gets real complicated and you feel the, the strain of life, often you just need somebody to reaffirm to you the great love that God has for you. And there's nothing more powerful than to have somebody just pull you up close and say, I love you. It's powerful words, but it's also the words of our Lord through the, through the apostle Peter that we are the beloved. You're the beloved because God loved you enough to give his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay your sin debt. You're the beloved of God, accepted into the beloved when you receive Jesus Christ as your savior. Ephesians 1 said he now accepts us into the beloved. So it's not an issue of what you do or don't do that makes you accepted. You're accepted in the beloved because you trust on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And therefore, God affirms today in the scripture, you are his beloved. And he now comes along and says, now, beloved, you live as a stranger and as a pilgrim because your residence is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on earth. And so live as a stranger and as a pilgrim. In other words, while you're on this earth, traversing this earth and living your days, your family, your work, your life, and doing all that you do, recognize you are a citizen of heaven. You're passing through here. So your conduct is the conduct of someone who's A heavenly individual, a spirit from a spiritual kingdom. It sounds like, well, that sounds like alien living. Yeah, that's exactly what often in Scripture Christ followers are called aliens because we're not of this world because our kingdom is that of God. We just happen to be living here and passing through. But our eternal home is with the Lord of glory. That's why, as I've shared with you before, Jesus made the statement that when he was here, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I, He promised. He said, I'm going to go. Meanwhile, He's left us here. Myself in the, the home that He's prepared is the eternal one. But meanwhile, He's left us here as pilgrims and strangers with a mission. We talked about that last Sunday. We have this definitive mission of God to let the entire world know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth to pay the sin debt for mankind, that in Christ we can have eternal life. And to let the world know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus rose from the grave alive and that he's still alive and he rules and reigns, he's the king. And that by faith, placing our faith in Christ, that he not only forgives us of our sin, past, present, and future, but then promises eternal life to us who are in Christ, who receive him by faith. And so as strangers and pilgrims, we have a very definitive mission. But often we feel like it's hard to know all the right words and I don't know God so well or I'm just new to the Bible and how am I supposed to know all this stuff and I don't have all the right answers. And here's what this scripture teaches us today. That in the midst of this being strangers and pilgrims, it's not always the words we say. But instead, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Now, why would I do that? Is this just going to be a list of rules of do's and don'ts? That's exactly what it feels like church is always going to come across and say, don't do this and don't do that. No, 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 no. that's not it. Instead, the scripture teaches as a Christ follower, there's things to put off in my life that this was my former conduct before I ever knew Christ when I was living, not as a stranger and a pilgrim as a citizen of heaven, but when I was living for my whole life to be here. See, if if your whole world is to live for here in the the 70, 80, 90, or 100 years you might have on this planet, well, you're going to fill that with all you can get out of this life because that's it. Well, we don't live that way because, well, now this life is just but a vapor. I'm just passing through. My eternal home is in heaven. And so I don't need to stuff it full of every earthly, sensual pleasure I can come up with. There's no reason for me to do that. But that would have been the former conduct before I knew Christ. That's exactly what would happen. And he says, now abstain, get away from, run, flee. Don't go down that pathway. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. But here's the why. It's not that just all those things are bad and they ruin your life and your family. And no, here's why. Because having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, which is all of us, that when they speak against you as evildoers, my body, in the day of visitation, don't miss that, don't let me be distracted. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, which happens, if you live for God's kingdom, evil speaking will come against you. But listen, don't lose heart in that. They may observe your good works, which they, when they observe this, they glorify God then in the day of visitation. Real quick. The day of visitation in Scripture in the Old Testament is when God visited the nation of Israel and God delivered them, God redeemed them, God rescued them out. God also in the day of visitation, he visited them with judgment whenever there was when they were living contrary to his word. In the New Testament, the day of visitation is first recorded in the book of Luke chapter 1. When the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, came to this planet, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Rescuer, our Savior, He's the one that came to us. But then I see that phrase again in Luke chapter 19. And they've observed the miracles of God. They've observed the good works of Christ's followers even. But they rejected that and said no to the things of God. And now God was bringing a judgment upon them for that. But here's the point for us. Is God is using your life and mine and the good works that can be observed. Now, I want to take an example of a good work that's being observa- it's observable and using the Scripture to do it. When I, I take these good works that are observable because this is how the, the lost person will hear when God visits them and reminds them of their need for a Savior and they now look at your life and mine as the testimony of this whole thing about Jesus Christ is real. Well, what would be the great testament of that? In the New Testament, after people became Christ followers, you get to see Jew and Gentile, people that would never associate together are now together, bond and free, male and female, worshiping in the same space. But not only that, you see the generosity of the church that they would give even out of their poverty. In 2 Corinthians 8, the church was giving beyond their capacity to continue to to love and, and nurture other people and advance the mission of God. It was the church at Antioch that was known, their reputation was known for being diverse. That they loved God and they loved all peoples and they welcomed all peoples into their fellowship. And as a result, God used them then to take the gospel to the uttermost and called out people from their church to plant churches and missions. But it wasn't just those things. It was also the work of the church of Thessalonica who was known for their brotherly love and their kindness and their faith, their love. And there was Barnabas, who was the son of consolation, who was known for being a consoler. He would come alongside of somebody like Paul when no one knew whether to trust him or not, because after all, he used to persecute the church and put people in prison for being Christians. And now he became a Christ follower. And it was Barnabas who said, hey, this man's a man of God. You could trust this man. He was a consoler. He had a reputation through scripture for this. It was Timothy that Paul was able to say, hey, I'm sending Timothy, my beloved son, to you. And he's going to minister among you and you can trust him. His character is proven among you and you could trust him. It's interesting to me to observe the contrast in the New Testament between the, the individuals or churches that had reputation for being living a radical Christian life, which means just they're following Jesus and his teachings compared to those that were living carnally. The entire letter to the church of Corinth was a letter that was written to challenge them in their, their disunity that they had, their judgmentalism and the fact that they had played favorites and they were suing each other in the church and Paul's men sideways with sexual immorality in the church and, and then they were questioning Paul's ministry and they were just problems in every direction and Paul comes along and writes and ministers to them to encourage them back to the way of Christ. Because their influence in the world was paramount, and he wanted them to see what you say, what you do, how you conduct yourself in a retail line or in a restaurant, it matters. It's interesting, just to share real fast the concepts of things that I in the last few weeks I met, visited with the manager of a restaurant. He told me he said, "Dwayne, generally speaking, most of our servers hate working on Sunday." And I was like, "Well, why is that?" And he said, "Well, they hate serving church people." Really? Uh, why would you say that? He said, well, because they always come in in bigger groups. They demand more and generally don't leave much of a tip. But he said the Friday and Saturday night crew, they don't, they don't like that. Most everybody wants to work Friday and Saturday nights. People are more generous. I thought, what a tragedy that the church general, and not this, just uh, us individually, but that the church overall would have that kind of rap sheet contractors that say I hate doing business with churches I try to avoid it like the plague they generally don't pay their bills individuals that get behind on things and people that put fish symbols all over everything you better watch out for them and when the church gets that kind of a rap sheet it's connected to yeah I start thinking well my stars we 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 save money and we put money behind things oftentimes to send people to share the gosh six bucks world and I'll save $3,000 to go to the other side of the world but you rip me off six bucks at a store and man, we're going to shred you. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. And so here's the powerful witness if I could just encourage you today in this incredibly powerful tool that you have and it's your walk with God. Your walk is what gives way to your word. It gives power to the word. It gives the platform for the words that you may share And when somebody says, wow, man, I just really appreciate your kindness, man. I appreciate your generosity. I just appreciate the way you do things. And you could quickly then turn that to a very simple word and say, you know what? That's I just want to give the credit to God because God's the one that's doing it through me and in me. And by myself, he said, never do that. Anything good you I've heard a guy say this once and I love the way he said it. He said, anything you ever see good in me, it's God doing it, not me. And he immediately was giving credit to the Lord and glorifying God. And here's what happens whenever someone now is God's working in their life and drawing them to himself to be saved. And all of a sudden, your testimony is critical to that message. And so here's the powerful tool. We'll talk next time about how we relate to government and how we relate to employers and employees and how we relate in spouse and and relationships in the home. Those things matter too. But here's what he says today. That our, conver- our conduct would be honorable among the Gentiles. It's what we say. It's what we do. It's how we function every day in life. And it gives the platform for the gospel. But more than that, it gives people, obviously, the Bible they've maybe never read. And it's you. We validate through everything in our lives the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we do it all perfectly? Nope. That is why scripture just said this, that we war against these fleshly desires. It's an ongoing battle. It's not like we just win it and we're done. Praise God. Now I'm perfect. No, it's an ongoing battle that I'm going to struggle with in my flesh to want to satisfy my fleshly appetites. And when I get crossed, I want to I make it right. I want vengeance. And if I get ripped off, I want to get it all back. And what, you know what? Those are fleshly appetites. We always want to win. It's that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's that desire to have, the desire to feel, and it's the desire to be. And we have that built into us. It's a sin nature that we're always warring. the spirit of God in us. is conflicting with that fleshly appetite. But here's what happens when we yield ourselves unto the Holy Spirit of God, working in our lives and we yield ourselves to God, we walk in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of our flesh. And it becomes then this incredible testimony that that makes no sense. In light of the world, in light of the landscape of what's going on in the world, a Christ follower stands out so clearly by simply their kindness and their goodness, their generosity, and walking in the fruit of the baptized somebody. But they're going to give, you know, it's a blessing. In just a second, we're going to stand up and sing a song, and I'm going to jump in that tub over there and baptize somebody. But they're going to give their first sermon. Angel Slavin is going to give her first sermon today without words because she's going to give testimony of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and that she, like Christ, was buried in the, and she's going to be buried as well in the water. And just as the same as Christ was resurrected, she's going to come up out of that water with the newness of life. She's already a Christ follower. Today she's testifying openly and boldly, proclaiming, I am a Christ follower and I'm identifying my life today with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sermon without words. We live a sermon every day without words in our honorable conduct before men.